Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're about to experience the other society. Prepare yourself for an independent, unscripted, and unedited conversation about the past, present, and future of the relationship between technology and humanity. Our goal is to share information and inspire action so that technology can be utilized to make our world a better place for everyone. The Other Society is not just a vision, it is a movement, and you can join it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Look at that, Marco. And here we are. It's the long-awaited moments. You know what, Sean? I was just thinking, like, how am I going to start this? And I thought about, you know when you're a kid and you're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because <laughs> we've been talking about this other society, at least two of us, as an idea for a very long time, as a, a detachment, a new venture of ITSB Magazine. And we're finally, finally here, and I'm really excited. And Sean, uh, what is the other society? Well, I think you'll, you'll probably say it much more eloquently than me, but the, the, the idea is that we as humans are creating the technology that are enabling us to live in a world that is digital. And we have an opportunity to actually define that technology in a way that creates a society that we want to live in. And we all have our own different view for what that is and, and how the technology will help us achieve our own personal goals and our societal goals. And that's the point. Is we all have a voice here, and this is our chance to share that. But we have to understand what it means first, too. And that's the, the purpose of these conversations. And you just passed the test. Like, Did I pass the test? Oh, yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> I, I'm proud of the, you know, the, how I deliver the message to you. And I hope we're going to deliver it to everybody else because our goal with this conversation is to make people think and believe that we can actually reach together uh, that other society. That may mean different things for different people, but uh, we'll find out as we travel together. And of course, Sean, it will be very boring if it was just the two of us. And uh, for people that are watching here and the ones that are listening to the podcast, they'll figure out as we go. We have a co-host. And we have three panelists, and uh, it's exciting. I can't wait, Sean. I'll, I'll let is. you introduce the co-host. Yeah, and, and very quickly, this is the, the model for this program is a series of conversations looking at the overview of a topic, and then we dive deep into technology, and then we pop back out and look at, well, what's the real impact to society? And... I think we have 50 topics published uh, on deck at the moment uh, with 50 more waiting in the wings. Smart cities seem the, the perfect one to lead this off with. And I think there's no better co-host than in Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal to help us lead us through what is a smart city? How does technology play a role? And what is that going to mean to our society? This is episode one, the introduction. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us for this journey, and uh, please take it from here. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, thank you, Sean, and thank you, Marco. What a pleasure to be here with you. And how thrilling to be on the first episode of this uh, new uh, show you have, which is going to run for some time and cover so many different things. And I think you're exactly right. The fact that you chose Smart Cities is spot on because 
you know, I'm passionate about this topic and our guests are too, because we believe our future is being shaped by cities uh, in a very, very important way. So uh, if you want to understand the future of humanity and where we're headed, you got to understand uh, cities. So I'm so thrilled that uh, this is the first episode. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, urbanization in general, you know, the background to our cities and where we're at, what's going on right now. Uh, in episode two, we'll talk about the technologies. And then in the final episode, we'll sort of look to the future with some philosophers, which is going to be uh, fascinating. Um, so uh, I'm going to introduce some brilliant people now. And I'm so thrilled because I consider them all friends and uh, some of the brightest minds in this space. So uh, we're lucky to have them. I'll start uh, just to say hi to Zoe. Hi, Zoe in Australia. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> hi there. It's wonderful. We've got a great connection to Australia. That's beautiful. So welcome. Lovely to have you. Uh, we have Chris on. Uh, by the way, Zoe is the CEO at an organization that she's created called My Smart Community. Wow, I almost forgot to, to share that bit. Um, so we'll move to Chris. Chris is with us. She is the executive director at Smart City, which is kind of cool because it's Smart CT. So good stuff on that. Hi, Chris. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Sean, Marco. And congratulations for the first you know, <laughs> episode of Other Society. Thank you. Thank it's you. great to have you, Chris. And, and, and Chris is really quite close to where I am. I'm over here in uh, San Francisco. She's, I think, just across the bridge, um, you know, over in uh, east, uh, east of where I am here in California. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but also, uh, Chris has an incredible following in the Philippines and does some very important work out in the Philippines. So um, I know that a lot of your fans, Chris, are, are joining us either now or uh, in, the, in the playback. So uh, hello to them. <laughs> and finally, we have uh, Jamie. Jamie Cudden from Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Jamie is the uh, smart city lead at Dublin City Council. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, guys. Great to be here on the first episode. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled that you're on. It's good to see you. I just saw him, just saw Jamie in Dublin uh, just a few months ago, um, where uh, we, had, we had a good, really great conversation and a great meal in a great restaurant. So that, that was lovely. And it's nighttime for you. Um, and so, so thanks for joining us. And, and Zoe, in Australia, what time is it? It's a very reasonable hour, 8 a.m. Oh, okay. Okay. Very nice. Let's jump right in. Uh, so you all, you all know that I'm passionate about this space, uh, about cities. Uh, we are now in what I consider to be a century of cities, the 21st century. Um, you know, our, our uh, humanity is now an urban species, right? The majority of humans are, are living in cities. And, and throughout this century, most people born will, will be born into cities and live out their lives in cities. So pretty incredible. Um, as we see accelerated urbanization. So I will start with Zoe. And my question for you is, <clears throat> from your perspective, and I, I want to definitely hear your opinions, you know, what's driving this accelerated growth of urbanization uh, in, in your research and experiences? Yeah, great question. And thanks, Jonathan. And yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I think there's this draw towards people and, you know, thinking about what's happened in the last couple of years, 
we are seeing shifts and changes though um, to not necessarily the biggest cities in the world, but also people moving to kind of smaller regional centers. And I know we use the word urbanization, we use the word cities, but a lot of my work has been in actually what draws people together in these regional communities and what actually creates a community as well. And so lots of people are gonna be living in cities, um, as you said, in the future, um, because we can access services, we can access you know, the internet, we can access all these types of things. But the work that I do is really around, well, if we don't live in the center of the big city, what else do we need to do to make sure that people have access? Um, so those regional centers, those hubs, um, making better use of resources uh, in, those, in those regional areas as well and rural areas. And then really thinking about, even if I don't live in a really big, in the center of a big city, how um, I, I need to be able to access the internet. So we wanna be able to make sure that people can still access. Um, and then I can have the life that I need to, that I want to have. And maybe I travel every, you know, occasionally, or maybe I work from home. Maybe I can um, do a couple of things because we know that people are gonna be doing a whole range of different things where we're not going to uh, necessarily move to an office in the big city, um, work eight to five. We might do that for a bit, but we might shift and change and do other things as well. So I think in the future, we. Obviously, people are moving to cities, but I think it's going to be different um, to what we're experiencing now. Yeah, good point. And, and sort of to follow up on that with Chris, uh, do you think with more people now working from home uh, and and uh, having uh, more flexible work arrangements, do you think it changes uh, the pattern of urbanization? What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was like, um, that's a really a good question. And I like what Zoe um, raised earlier about how does the city, the the urban center, really affects the ones in the in the in the border areas? I would like to go back to the definition of city, right? So yeah. I was like, I was just talking to um, what's his name, Tim? Is it Tim Anwin of of UNESCO ICT 4D? And he was like arguing that you know the using the term city in smart city is kind of like uh, negative. Why? Because he's going back to the history of city, wherein the etymology and the history of earlier cities are really formed to abuse and overuse the, the community around it. So most of the times, the urban areas, the cities itself during um, before were like abusing the agricultural areas, the undeveloped, underdeveloped areas. But I like what Zoe pointed out that at least for me, um, city should be seen as a community itself. It's like a civilization. It's a civilization. It's not a rural and urban dichotomy, especially now that you mentioned that the geography seems to be to matter less because of the digital technologies. So city should be should equate the community which constitute you know openness collaboration. But going back to your question, does the digital transformation affects you know the 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 city formation the rural formation itself we would think that if for example i'm being paid the same and i can work anywhere right so why should i just leave the city go to the province instead wherein i can just relax there are a bunch of trees the cost of living is cheaper if if i'm paid the same right but so logically, it will lead like a sort of an exodus, uh, almost an exodus from city to the to the rural areas, wherein there's no pollution, there's no traffic, and uh, there's uh, lower cost of living. But the thing is, 
in my research, this, there's a 2021 study, I think in UK, wherein they found quite the opposite, wherein the internet and the ICTs have not really pushed the people out of the big cities, but rather attracted more people towards them, at least for now, right? So there's a mm -hmm. problem or probably a, an opportunity or a challenge there itself. It shows that we're, are we creating more inequality? We're in, you know, the, the digital transformation are really focused on cities or shall we spill over the digital transformation in, in, in various areas? So that's yeah. Very nice. Uh, and I loved your point about uh, cities versus communities. I, I, in fact, you know, Zoe's been a champion around using the term community rather than cities, and she's really influenced my thinking on that. So, so thank you for raising that. Um, so this is this is for Jamie. I want to build on this even further. Um, so we're talking about accelerating urbanization. We've been urbanizing, you know, throughout the uh, industrial revolutions for about 300 years, but it's accelerating. And, and so the question is, you know, again, from your perspective, you are a leader there in a in a growing uh, popular city there in Dublin, Ireland. You know, what's the impact of accelerating innovation, not only to the city itself as more and more people move in, but to the rural areas as people move out? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested. I mean, we always started off years back with Smart City as an exclusive club, um, just to pick up on that, where... I think the whole conversation now is really going towards communities, towns, villages. And I think maybe Jonathan, coming back to your point about, you know, size, uh, you know, size of cities, the bigger they are, sometimes the more complicated, well, definitely the more complicated they are and the bureaucracy and the silos. I mean, I sometimes think Dublin is a kind of a, a just a perfect size. Of course I'd say that, but you know, it's not too big, not too small. Um, and we've also created like these districts where we can accelerate innovation you know, so we're not trying to tackle everything in one big go. But I think it's it's smaller towns and villages um, and communities that, that can actually really take the opportunity now more than anyone because you have less bureaucracy, you have less challenges in terms of trying to change culture. And if you get the right people with the right mindset, you can just drive for change uh, really fast. So so I think while cities offer massive opportunities, you know, in terms of, you know, innovation ecosystems and you know, you know, the, the, the whole buzz in Dublin, you know, Docklands is here behind me. You know, that's one of the biggest innovation tech quarters uh, in Europe. And, uh, you know, we're, we're wondering now, what does the future of districts like this look like, you know, post COVID? And what we've heard, and I think what we've all experienced is that working from home was kind of cool at the start. And then we kind of realized, well, we needed to you know, engage with people you know, on a face-to-face -face basis. The idea of ideation, brainstorming, it's just not the same, you know, that you know, water cooler moment, that coffee chat. And, and we're kind of hearing that from the, the tech companies, you know, they're trying to reinvent, you know, maybe, you know, there's some stuff you can do, work remotely, but there's other stuff that just can't happen remotely. And innovation requires people, ideas, exchange of ideas. So I think there's, you know, there's, there's a really interesting uh, future for, for cities and innovation districts and, and also an opportunity, as you say, Jonathan, for, you know, areas outside of cities, you know, rural areas. But underpinned by that you know and in ireland and all other countries it's about connectivity you know if you can't get high speed connectivity in these areas you're, you're finished so having supportive government policies and you know encouraging the right investment in the right places and we've been quite fortunate that you know covid came at a time that we've had connectivity but oh, maybe it could be better but imagine we had COVID like 10 15 20 years ago mm -hmm. oh my goodness right. you know, without zoom without these you know collaboration tools without netflix what would we have done you know <laughs> Absolutely. Marco. Yeah, you know, I, I love this angle of 
looking at it as a community because, you know, I, I'm like, you know, Jamie, I come from Europe, from, from Florence, Italy. So, you know, I'm used to think about, you know, old city when I think about I'm going to the cities, that center. But it's always that thought of many people that back in the 60s and the 70s, they also live in the outskirts of the city where you have your resources and you only had to go to the city when you needed to. So this community and the technology, uh, Jonathan, and maybe I would love your opinion on that, could it allow to have a, a decentralized vision of a city where instead of being just the city as a urbanistic development, it's a city even if it's just connected via digital mean to, to that. Uh, it's mm. kind of fascinating in my head right now. Yeah, I like that. In fact, I think uh, I think Chris has a perspective on that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah I want to like I, I like what Jamie mentioned as well, and what Marco is going like pointing out in terms of like smaller cities. If in like in my experience in Southeast Asia, and there's a study as well, uh, the middleweight city not only the urbanization is rising, but the economic development is rising. So that's an opportunity for businesses as well. So the middleweight we when we think of Southeast Asia, we always think about the mega cities. The Jakarta, like Manila, Bangkok, but 60% or even higher uh, is, is of the economic development is in middleweight cities, which is the population is uh, 500,000 to 5 million. So there, that's a really good opportunity. The economic development is booming in this part uh, in the city. And I agree with Jamie when where he pointed out uh, that these particular cities are more nimble. <laughs> They're more flexible in terms of like dealing with the with the government, especially. And I also like what Marco pointed out in terms of decentralization. You know, decentralization is really, especially in Southeast Asia, it's really in full swing. Um, in the Philippines, this just last year, there's a court ruling wherein really give the even the fiscal autonomy to the cities themselves. So rather than the organizations, rather than the the companies coursing through. The, the national government, forcing everything through the national government, you can directly work with the cities themselves and directly engage with the main stakeholders, the city leaders themselves. I love it, Zoe. Um, adding on to that, and, and Marco, I really, um, I love your um, point around thinking about these kind of you know digital cities that we have, which is the community, right? Those we have the local community that we we love. Um, we we know we've thrived on that during COVID when we we're able to um, you know get out and connect in a safe way. But also we have this global community, right? And we're all sitting here in our global community, and it's not one or the other anymore. It's both, and I think that's what really magical about this time um, that we can have both and that both are on equal ground whereas I felt like digital wasn't on equal ground before it was something we did that was um, you know kind of behind the scenes or when we had time out of our normal lives whereas our smart life is now our real life and it, it, it's one and the same so our digital footprint is just as important as our physical footprint but going to your point around that ecosystem of connectivity and that being a city, I talk about this in a, in a smart region. And in Australia, we have a lot of, you know, really, um, I guess, uh, communities that are really far away from anything else, um, quite small. Um, and we have a whole range of different um, socioeconomic statuses in different communities, that type of thing. I mean, the globe, everyone has it around the world, but we know that there's this tyranny of distance in Australia. 
But we also, I talk a lot about, um, so, you know, we've got, say, one person per um, whatever square metres. And we talk about this region approach because when we want to, say, implement a new technology that's going to improve the quality of life of people, maybe it's connectivity, maybe it's um, being able to have more data around weather and that type of thing as well, we really need to think about um, how we can form that united front when we are you know, purchasing technology or, or, or engaging with our communities. And so that smart region approach is really key because then you can have this ecosystem of networks um, that, you know, don't have to be next door to you, but you know you can reach out to them. Um, so I think that on a global scale is such an important topic. And I think that's what we're creating here, which is really exciting. Yeah, thanks, Zoe. Sean? Yeah, I wanted I wanted to go to, uh, to Jamie with this because I often wonder how change is started. Um, do citizens of this city, city or community know they need change? Uh, are they looking to uh, government entities to identify where inefficiencies lie and, and where positive change can come from? Um, I know in, in near the Docklands, there was a, a project for like some water park that was going to be multi-purpose and that was approved and now retracted. So how do projects come to bear and, and, and are they citizen driven, government driven, lobbyist driven, tech driven? How does, how does it all come about? Come about? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think there's, there's a couple of different levels there. I mean, I'm just thinking from my own perspective in terms of how, you know, I started off about five or six years ago, kind of kicking off a, a smart city program, just myself. And it was sponsored by our chief executive, uh, who's a city manager of, of, of Dublin City. I think change, you know, needs to be driven by strong leaders. You know, you see it in different cities with strong mayors, you know, people with the, I suppose, the authority to kind of, I suppose, bypass the naysayers, the negative people, you know, th there's there's always a culture to kind of stick with the status quo. Um, but sometimes you need to step outside of that and really look at new ideas and new opportunities. I think also challenges that cities face, you know, over the last you know, decade, you know, there's been so many different challenges from, you know, congestion to climate change to, you know, I suppose, flooding, extreme weather events. We're facing so many different challenges. I mean, COVID's just another one of many, a pretty significant one, though. And I think, you know, what we need to do is, you know, cities are very traditional. Cities have always worked the same way. You know, the governance of our cities hasn't changed for hundreds of years nearly. Um, but we live in very different times. You know, technology is moving so fast. Uh, expectations of citizens is changing at a pace we've never seen before because of what they're used to uh, on a daily basis. So we kind of live in and work in these cities that are very traditional, yet society is moving at a different pace. And we can see it with how technology has evolved. And all these companies like Facebook or Meta or Google, you know, have taken that opportunity and just gone so fast, so quickly, but no policy has kept up with that. Um, and you see the same in, you know, things that used to be the exclusive remit of governments like your know, mobility services um, and, and lots of other areas like scooters all, all of a sudden you're taking over the streets of our cities. Absolutely fantastic concept, but, you know, done in the wrong way, a mess. And we see the same in terms of the data that's collected on citizens in cities, you know, opting in, you know, how things are used with, with our consent, without our consent. You know, it, it's a bit of a free for all out there. And I, I think while well, the opportunity is absolutely massive and, and, and but cities have to shape that. Um, on the, for the benefit of citizens, you know, solving challenges. And it comes back to your point, John, at the very start, you know, we need a society that is, you know, applying these technologies, these new opportunities in the right way. 
And I think, you know, the, the different drivers for that, um, there's so many challenges, you know, there's so many things we need to address in our cities, but like if not done the right way or shaped for the benefit of citizens or communities, we're, we're going in the wrong direction. So that's yeah. kind of, you know, a, a good, interesting conversation that we're, I'm sure we can talk about for the mm. next while. No, but I love, I love your answer and your thoughts there, Jamie, because you, 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 you filled in a lot of gaps about what the challenges are and how, you know, stuff can go well, stuff can be problematic if you don't deal with it. Uh, and it is right now a, a bit of a free for all. There's a lot of moving pieces, uh, as you, uh, as you kind of, uh, have, um, characterized. So this question is for Chris. So, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of built a, a nice background here to the topic and we assume because we live and breathe this every day that everybody understands what cities are doing and what's going on. So perhaps you could start it off, Chris, with sharing with us at a, at a, at a big level, at a high level, you know, how are some communities responding to this, to this accelerated urbanization? What, what are you seeing in your work? Yeah, going back to what Zoe was mentioning earlier, like the smart region, at least because um, I'm coming in here, uh, uh, like almost representing the Southeast Asia. So from the, I guess from the last time we talked, there are a few, there are a few developments on the country level on the Philippines and different, you know, uh, Malaysia and other and, and other Asian countries, but on the regional level, right? On the regional level, going back to what Zoe is mentioning, ASEAN, the the Southeast Asian Southeast Asian uh, nation, released a smart city framework. So basically, a guide a guidance for for the whole region itself. And in the Philippines, there's three master master plans that's being developed already. Um, by by the national government, so it's really in full swing in Southeast Asia. Uh, but what I notice is that there's a lot of work left to do in the local level, and this is, I guess, this is where the opportunity and the challenge lies, because local governments, especially the cities, the municipalities, were really uniquely positioned to play a role in governing and embracing data and embracing technologies not only because we are more nimble as jamie mentioned earlier that we are more flexible the cities are more flexible than the national government but because the local governments are directly responsible to, for the welfare of its community so they understand the needs of the community they are the one who really understand what it's like in their community so thus, I really think that operationalizing the smart city concept <laughs> is still a challenge on the ground. On top of that, uh, currently the focus is on the private and public partnership and the people is being left out. I always say that we need to scratch out, in terms of smart cities, we need to scratch out in our vocabulary the term public and private partnership because we really need to involve the people here. We need the buy-in of the people. We need the trust of the people for them to utilize these technologies and data that we are pushing. Such great points. I, I, I love, I, I wanted to amplify something you said. You know, here in the United States, we've got, you know, the federal government, we have the state and we have the local. There's some other layers of government in there too, but those are generally the big three. For most people, the federal government isn't that close to them and they, they probably don't know who represents them there or how they could even touch that you know individual if they had to. At the state level, similar. But you know what? Uh, the local uh, people and representatives are very close to you. In fact, 
because America, the United States, is a uh, country of small communities, you're probably going to bump into your mayor or your city manager in a supermarket, you know, uh, and you know, or make a call and meet with with them for for a cup of coffee. So I, I love that point. It's it, it's one of the reasons I'm so attracted to cities uh, and and smaller communities, and in, 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 in is that this is where the action happens. Absolutely. Now I want to want to go to you, Zoe, um, and and sort of continue this sort of response question. Um, you know, you're there in Australia, and, and it, I, I guess if you're not close to this movement, you're probably not aware that, you know, Australia is very, very active. And I say that, you know, scanning the world of uh, smart city activities, a lot of stuff is happening in Australia. Can you maybe talk about a handful, of, you know, at a very high level, how Australian cities are responding to their urbanization? Yeah, no problem. And I think in Australia, we have these amazing pockets of innovation that are happening. Um, and, you know, we've been on this journey for quite a quite a long time. Um, but, you know, having interviewed a whole bunch of people on the podcast, I see the maturity of the conversation increasing. And that's happening, you know, on the podcast, but also in the community and in the real, you know, the real world as well. So in New South Wales, um, there's there's lots happening. There's a smart um, accelerator fund uh, now, which is I think forty five million dollars, which is encouraging partnerships between um, private sector or place owners. Um, so not necessarily just private sector. Actually, probably more local government partnering with state government, um, and then getting some of these things off the ground. But to Chris' point, to Chris's point. We've done a lot of uh, kind of, you know, pilots and trials. And I think um, I know Jamie's team has talked about this, you know, the death by pilot, um, but also that you learn so much from pilots and things. So you've really got to be quite strategic about it. But then, okay, so that's great. We did the, we did the trial, we did the test. Now how do we scale this and how do we operationalise this? And particularly in regional areas, this is really, really key because, yes, we can do a trial maybe of, um, you know, some kind of system, but, but if it's really successful and it's great and we want to high-five about it, people then start relying on that. And then if we don't have the skill sets to continue it or to scale it or actually it's not sustainable in any, you know, fashion, then we get despondent and our community gets despondent because we can't actually move forward. So I think Australia is now in a phase where we are starting to really embed this stuff in our traditional projects. Um, and one I've been working on, uh, it's a very traditional project, and um, we did a smart city and digital strategy for uh, a public transport network. And this was kind of one of the first times that that this has happened on, on that scale. They, they realised that, oh, okay, well, we don't just want to, you know, add smart city stuff later on. We want that now. And so we did this, um, we did a whole bunch of initiatives, we did a whole bunch of engagement, and then we were able to um, give that to the designers and then they designed it in from the very beginning. So the, it's not coming online until, um, you know, later, you know, five, five seven years um, down the track but they're embedding this stuff in now. And one of the biggest things is it's not necessarily specific technologies that we said that they use because in seven years they might be different, but it's the purpose or what problem is it solving or what how is it enhancing the experience of the passenger or the community. And so that um, to me really showed that, oh, actually we're, we're moving here, we're really getting along and it's not... Uh, all our smart stuff's in this bucket over here and this project over here or this team over here, we're embedding it now throughout our traditional projects, which is an amazing feeling and an amazing experience moving forward. 
Lovely. Thank, thank you for that, uh, Zoe. Um, so I wanted to move uh, back back to you, Jamie. Um, and what I wanted to do is shift a little bit the conversation to, you know, engagement, how, how we can engage different types of stakeholders in uh, building better communities and building a, a better society. And um, we're interested to know what, what works has worked for you and, and what have you observed uh, in, in your work with other partners uh, around Europe and beyond in terms of bringing lots of different stakeholders into um, building solutions? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good question. I think traditionally cities have, you know, had a very, you know, I suppose, traditional approach in terms of engagement, you know, the whole town hall concept. Um, and you'd have to, you know, get get it, make an effort to actually go to the town hall and, you know, see something. But I, I think if, if anything, the engagement thing has really accelerated with COVID because it's pushed, you know, cities to figure out, you know, how do we go online with Teams and Zoom and all new ways to engage. And, you know, I, I think that's been a game changer um, particularly what I'm seeing in cities around the world and everything from, you know, new plans for the city starting to think about, can we put them in 3D models? Can we have mechanisms where people can visualize stuff better? So th that's been a real, real positive. I think, um, you know, th there's all sorts of different types of engagement, local, hyper, local engagement. We have a project called Beta Projects, uh, one of my favorite where, you know, we, we try and test and do beta projects at very local level engagement and we get feedback then uh, from citizens and communities on projects, what they like, what they don't like, and keep it small enough that you know it can be agile. Yeah, that's been very successful for us. But other areas I, I got really excited about and I get really excited about is citizen science. And this is something that, you know, I, I just one thing that amazes me is like the technology that used to be just exclusive to cities, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago, sensors on, you know, air quality, on you know, rainfall, on you know, things that impact communities, to now be able to kind of give these to communities and citizens and put it in your garden or in your school and to generate data and ask questions about why is it so noisy here? Why is there so much traffic, you know, outside my house? And we, we, we've won a load of big European uh, projects engaging like thousands of citizens. I think about, you know, 20,000 citizens uh, in Dublin on everything from bike routes and potholes to air quality and noise. And, and I just, you know, it, it just changes the conversation and it puts it back into the city and the guys in the city can't, you know, the traditional guys who, you know, used to love just having access to the data themselves, themselves you know, like, you know, Jonathan, you probably worked in, a, in, when you worked in a city, you know, there's a whole thing, like, we're not going to tell them this. They don't need to know. They'll never understand. And I love this idea now, this data is like out there, you know, people are asking questions um, and pushing back. And, and I think there's going to be so much more of that. And it's going to, I mean, we're having conversations with cities around the world, like trying to understand what the new governance is. You know, how does cities take in citizen generated data and actually make sense of it and engage with citizens and do and act on it, you know? So, so I, I, that they're kind of a couple of areas and, and I also yeah. see cities doing very successful stuff with social media and citizen sentiment, you know, companies like Zen city doing some cool stuff in, in the U S so there's all different levels, but I suppose the one thing we have to be figured out is that we don't leave people behind uh, on this journey. Not everyone is digitally connected and, you know, it's something we just, you know, we, we're moving fast, but we have to be careful as well. So lots yeah. to think about, lots of exciting opportunities, and it's it's going to change so much the next five, 10 years for cities. They need to get ready for it. That's so true. Um, I, I know, Chris, you want to say something, and I, I want to ask you a question uh, that I think you can fold into your thoughts on engaging, because I know you have a lot to say about it. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't share that, you know, Chris, one of your passion areas is data and open data. You've been 
talking a lot about open data these last few months, which uh, good for you, good for you. Um, so part of my question for you is, you know, certainly weigh in on what Jamie said about uh, uh, engaging people and solutions. Uh, but specifically, if you could mention what you think the role of data is in uh, community uh, engagement. Yeah, I really like what Jamie pointed out in terms of really engaging, you know, the, the people itself. And I would like to add that I always say that we cannot engage the people uh, or the public to the things that they don't really understand. So even if we don't, if we talk to them about data, about smart cities, if they don't know what it is, it's not really engagement. Um, and what I also want to say is that we all, in terms of engagement, we always missed uh, our opportunity in terms of, ed of educating the general public itself. So we always focus on the supply of data, as you've mentioned, even, um, even in open data. We, we focus on supply of open data, supply of technologies on the ground, and supply of talents, supply of solutions. And, but we don't focus on the consumption. And the consumption of this data, the consumption of these technologies, the, the consumption of this, you know, um, critical technologies like AI. Meaning, there's still a lot of 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 um, gap in terms of the need for deploy, like ethical deployments or fair de deployments of these products and data um, for the consumption of everyone. And to this to this effort, I think, in terms going back to your question on open data, uh, my my the 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 wave right now really the the previous wave is for like supplying open data but no one is really using it so currently what i hope will happen is that we focus on educating the public in terms of the importance of this particular open data in terms of using this particular data we should start talking and talking about how can we really educate the general public about this, like technologies, about AI. How can we reach the everyday citizens on what smart city is about? What are the limits of open data? What are the limits of AI, right? What are the, which, what AI or and any particular uh, technology cannot do and understand um, the values like ethical or the values like governance issues in AI systems and other systems as well. I think in terms of this, like we're really in the in the midst of there's a lot of supply of already, and I'm drowning with a lot of supply of data and technology. <laughs> but the public is not really involved at all. And we're not really engaged because we don't really talk to them and they're not literate, you know, the literate enough um in terms of these technologies and open data. Yeah. You know, you know, we're in a period of great change when there are more questions than answers. And, and you've, you've characterized that well. Uh, Sean. Yeah. And I'll, I'll uh, put this to Jamie and, and maybe uh, Zoe has some thoughts on this. I'm sure she does as well. In the spirit of data and algorithms and technology, and we can educate and raise awareness and help people understand what this is, but ultimately it's the outcome that impacts us directly or not either if we if it's not delivered in a way that it's uh, equitable for everybody um, some people might get left behind so my my question is uh maybe is it to use first so and then then jamie you can touch on the, uh, the 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 kids part of it for the education how do we 
if you're not, if you're just sitting by, you, you are affected by it and you, you take it as, as it's given to you and you don't have to really say versus if you're part of it and engaged and contributing data and helping to define the algorithms and helping to define the desired outcomes as part of that engagement, you can actually help drive what you really want in your smart city. So how, how do we move beyond just being a, a, a secondhand fiddle and, and taking whatever is given to me and actually being part of, but and then also understanding it too, right? Because you have to understand what's going on. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question and um, and, a, and a really pertinent one too, I guess, in the world that we live in. Um, but what I realised is, you know, I'm an engineer by background, right, and I used data all the time, didn't think about it like that. It wasn't super sexy, whereas data is now sexy, smart cities is sexy, smart cities is just sexy sustainability, right, we throw the technology in there. But I was like, I need to know more about this data, right? So I started a data, um, a master's of data science. And, you know, for me, I was like, I want to do the really technical stuff. But what I realized was we make all these decisions behind the code. Um, you know, the algorithm at the algorithms are doing all the things and the stuff, but they can only do a certain amount of things. We still need that human touch. And I think your point around outcomes is so important. And not every single person is going to get in and start coding in Python or whatever. But if we can have more diversity behind the code to represent those different experiences, the different life experiences, um, the different um, you know outcomes that people actually are seeking and wanting from this, rather than just having a um, you know. I'm a tech person, therefore I code, and I look like a certain type of person, and, and that's the that's that's the outcomes that I think everybody needs. If we have more, more diversity behind the code, we can represent that diversity in front of it. So not everybody's going to be involved, but I think if we can get more people involved from different experiences, different backgrounds, and you know, I'm an engineer, so it makes sense potentially, but I'm a civil engineer. And if you throw data science and civil engineering together, that's still an unusual combination, but we need to see more of these unusual combinations. And I think we will, but it requires investment. And I think, you know, we, we went, oh, we need more teachers um, in Australia, for example, at some point in time. So then we invested in it. We need more engineers. We invested in it. Now we need more people that know what the data is doing. So data scientists, analysts, et cetera. So we need to invest in it. And it's not necessarily that they're purely data people, but we want that combination of, oh, maybe they're an engagement person and data, you know, an engineer and data, creative and data, you know, artists and data. Like having artists in this technology space is amazing because they think so differently. So I think it doesn't solve the whole problem, but if we can get more people involved in this space, and there's so many different spaces to be involved in too. I'm not going to be the code. I'm not going to be coding everything. I can I can jump in and do stuff, but actually I want to bring the strategy or I want to bring the engagement. But I understand that we can do certain things and then there's people that, you know, really want to dive into that. So I think if we get more people involved, and I think this leads really nicely onto um, what Jamie was talking about or is going to talk about, um, and, and I think we can start asking those right questions because ultimately, like Jonathan said, we don't have all the answers, but if we can get people, more people asking questions, we'll get better answers in the future. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, one thing that uh, yeah, I picked up over the last couple of years in Dublin is that there's all these huge opportunities with data, with technology, but if people don't know about them or understand what they are, you know, we're not going to realize them. And we kind of came up with this idea working with Trinity College Dublin, one of our local innovation partners, to set up this thing called Academy 
of the near future. And I was like the near future because it's kind of happening now <laughs> and we need to teach people about it. And we, it actually is an interesting origin because oh, you were talking about you know your engineering background. My hypothesis is that you know after five or six years working in smart cities, the biggest barrier to change was actually the people working in cities, the engineers, not, no disrespect to engineers, um, but they just don't get what the opportunity is. So I had this idea that we do a training program and we do it for engineers and local authority staff to get them upskilled in terms of what the opportunity is. But we actually pivoted on that because we said, if we're doing it for engineers, maybe we could do it for kids as well. No disrespect to engineers, but <laughs> it's it's this, you know, we, we figured out that actually, if you don't get young young people behind this and feeling part of it and excited about it, we've lost, you know, we've all lost the momentum. And, and we kind of, uh, you know, d- designed a program uh, that we'd have like a, a three-hour workshop with kids across Ireland. And we've taught over a thousand uh, students um, in disadvantaged schools, uh, targeting female schools as well, you know, and, and it's been hugely successful. You know, the technology that sits behind cities and can benefit your communities and towns. And I can tell you one thing, it's an absolute joy to sit on those sessions. It can be challenging at times, but it's so rewarding. And I think we need to do a hell of a lot more uh, on that, not just with kids and engineers, but with everyone, because this technology is playing such a key role in our life. And, you know, people need to know what it's doing, how it can benefit them, what to think about the pros and the cons, get those conversation going. And then we can grow and scale much faster than I think we are doing at the moment. Yes, yeah, so, such a great, great point. And uh, or set of points. And uh, I, I'm going to, I have a shameless plug, I'm, I'm afraid right now. Um, you know, <laughs> I've written uh, a bestseller on on building smart cities, as, as, as all of you know, but I've also written two children's book books on building smart cities, uh, including a, a bedtime rhymes book. So <laughs> I got the same. I got, I got one. <laughs> You did. I, I look at yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, there you go. For those watching, there was a, a nice, uh, nice uh, cameo from the book. Yeah. <laughs> and and we were actually lucky because we heard you yes. rhyme for us With, on some you, you and Brett rhymed for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Um, okay, um, got a question for 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 each of you. Um, we have been speaking about uh, community engagement quite a lot in this conversation, and, and we talk about it. And I make this, uh, I take this position too often is, you know, what cities do. So cities do social media, cities have, t- have town halls, um, you know, cities can create, you know, different types of online engagement. Let's flip it around, though. The, the other society is all about each of us building a better future, right? And, and, and it's about each of us. So let's think about what each of us can do to build a better society. So the question I have then is what can an individual do who's listening or watching right now? Uh, what can they do tomorrow to, to get engaged in their, in their communities in a, in a different way? Maybe I'll start with Chris on that one. I think becoming like for like the general public, being more aware of, of, of what is happening in, in their community through, I don't know, like through whatever, medium that they use like social media or probably like a newspaper would be a good start and second would be to be i guess if you have a kid at home you know to be more uh what they call this to interact more with them because those are the kids are more like tech you know tech savvy than us and to really learn from them as well i like i always like intergenerational learning you know so so i guess the 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 older people have something to 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 
to part um in part in terms of you know uh, what should and should not be done in the society and the kids um can 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 teach something in terms of technologies to the to the to the adult as well i think that's a good start and another another one would be to be more cautious in terms of their use of of technology and social media because i really think that we are in the uh, crucial uh you know crucial uh crucial time in terms of like, our social media and the information that is out there as well mm, thank you chris so so true uh good good a positive and and a, a little bit of a warning there at the uh, at the end as well good uh zoe and and if you and and to be a little bit more uh, if you could be quite succinct in your answer around um what can an individual do to get involved in their in building a better community Yes, I'll give you a, a tweetable answer. Um, <laughs> look outside and think about the things that you love about your community and get more involved in them. And if there isn't another, if there isn't a group of people like, you know, that you've already found online or, or whatever that, that, that also love that thing, create your own. And because there will be people out there, we have so many different interests. So get out there and think about how we can really connect with the people within our community on a certain topic of interest, which can be whatever your heart desires. Great answer. It's a long tweet, but it's a great answer. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Jamie, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is get out. You know, get away from the phone and the computer. Get out and about and enjoy your community. And I think if there's anything that we've learned from you know, COVID is how lucky we are in the communities we have and getting out and enjoying your neighborhood. And, you know, I think it's that, that to me, that's so important. But also, if you are interested in getting more active, there's a lot of data that you can collect. There's a lot of stuff that you can use to influence your councillors, influence your city uh, to make change. So, you know, a lot, a lot of cool projects out there collecting air quality, uh, flooding data, stuff that you can really pull together and start kind of shaping uh, you know, discussions and decisions in your city. I think people don't realize what's just out there. And I think there's very powerful tools. Yeah, so such a great point. Um, now I, I have my last question. And again, it's going to be for each of you. Uh, and I'm going to ask this to everybody. So uh, all, the next six or seven guests that we'll have in this series. So everybody will have a chance to answer this question. I'm going to start with you, Jamie, work backwards. Oh, no. and, and yeah, here we go. <laughs> totally your opinion, big picture. Um, because this is the theme of the other societies about building a better world. Um, what do you think? What, what's And this is tough because it's one thing. <laughs> what do you think is the one thing we need to do to build a better society? Yeah, I, I, I think the one thing we do need to do to build a better better society, I'm getting myself a bit of time here, is <laughs> uh, I think we need to collaborate more. I, I think we right. need to work outside our silos and we're all in it together. Um, if we work together, we can address challenges our city faces. And I think climate action is the number one challenge uh, that we need to collaborate really hard to address. Ooh, well done. <laughs> Love that answer. Chris, same question for you. What do, in your opinion, what do we need to do to build a better society? Yeah, I love the quote of Audrey Tang of Taiwan, which is radical transparency. So I think radical transparency is needed in order for us to collaborate better, you know, and I will also want to say that technology is easy, but culture is hard. <laughs> uh, so without the public realizing the value of data, the value of technology, all the digitalization efforts would be, you know, pointless. 
Nice. So good. Thank you, Chris. And I'm going to give you the last word on this, uh, on the question, Zoe. What would you do? What, in your opinion, what needs to happen to build a better society? We need to have better conversations, more conversations that then lead to actions. The action is the hard part. So thinking about how we can really shift and change of just talking to action and get the people involved that really need to be there. And there's so many different people need to be there and actually drive some of this stuff forward. Very nice. Wow. Three beautiful answers. Thank you all so much. You know, uh, I'm going to wrap up my comments here. I, I, but I have to make a, a more macro comment, which is uh, Sean and Marco are very talkative, engaging guys. I think they've been sitting back <laughs> just enjoying what you guys are saying because I, I'm surprised at their silence. <laughs> so. I, I feel like I'm watching like everybody else. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just learning and chilling, and I yeah, love it. Exactly. I, love it. I, I will have a comment at the end, so I'll, sure. I'll let you finish. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. No, no, I, I, of course I kid. Um, but but um, again, look, no surprise, three brilliant human beings thinking deeply about topics that really matter. Um, you know, we, we started our conversation today about acknowledging rapid urbanization all over the world and uh, both the positives of that plus the, the major challenges. And on balance, there's probably quite a lot of uh, challenges. Now, a lot of us here talked about solutions. Uh, technology is playing a big role in those solutions. Um, everybody mentioned education, loved the fact that uh, the answers were a lot about kids and engaging kids or younger people in these important big macro topics. Uh, we should never uh, lose lose sight of that. Um, but overall, uh, more engagement, more ways uh, where cities and communities can engage their, their populations and for individuals to be more proactive in the role that they can play uh, rather than waiting, but they can step up and step forward and, and make uh, change. Uh, some of the ways we're going to change the world are, is going to be around good conversations, you know, uh, good collaboration, uh, being being open, um, and and you know, facing the, those challenges uh, head on. So uh, the time flew by. I want to thank you, Chris, so much. You're incredible. Thank you, of course. Thanks, Jamie, for staying up with us and being part of this amazing. And Zoe, uh, you were absolutely wonderful as usual. I can't wait to see you in the Middle East here in a few days. It's going to be great fun doing the things we love to do. We're just helping to create a better, more positive world. And with that, I'm going to hand you over to Sean. Uh, Jonathan, uh, amazing. Uh, I'll say work here. You, you put a lot into this, I have to say, uh, bringing such an amazing group of folks together for this episode and the others to follow. I think my, my main takeaway today is engagement. And I think it may, may be difficult for some to engage if they don't understand. So I, I think have that first conversation, ask questions. No, no question is a dumb question. Um, look to, and I think you pointed out Jonathan as well, that the federal government, even the state government, you won't feel the impact of that. It's our communities where we'll feel the real impact of this. Technology is happening. We have a chance to help shape how that technology works for us. And uh, that requires conversation engagement like our three amazing panelists described today. Um, Marco, any thoughts before I uh, bring it home for us? I have to say that I'm really happy about this conversation because when you envision 
a new series of conversation call the other society you may think like eh, am i asking too much you know it's like uh, putting together all these topics and and have a a line to follow and i have to thank jonathan for bringing this group of people together i cannot wait for the next conversations because it's confirming that there is a need and there is a lot of smart people out there that are active in, in changing things, not just taking what it comes to us, but use uh, you know, their knowledge to, to bring knowledge to other people. And uh, yeah, I think technology can help if we use it correctly and, uh, and knowledge, knowledge on, of how to use it. Uh, Sean, I'm going to leave you the last minute to tease on the next episodes, and uh... yeah, because it is it we're we're going deeper. So we yeah. got a nice overview, uh, a very detailed overview, <laughs> an important overview. Uh, but we're going to look at the technology next, because uh, like I said, technology is happening. Things are being created, they're being deployed, data is being generated, it's being used. Uh, what does that all mean? Uh, what are the technologies? Uh, how how are they? Uh, who's developing them? Who who's the beneficiary of those things? And and what are what are the drivers behind those technologies being delivered? So, uh, a lot to explore there. Jonathan did another amazing job. We have Benson Chan, Renil Paramel, and Michael Pegmas joining us, and uh, I get to do that one with Jonathan. Uh, and we're going to dig deep into tech. Following that, we'll get into society, the the real final impact. And who knows, maybe there'll be more conversations after that. But uh, with that, I want to thank everybody for participating today, for listening. I think there was a, there was a note from one of our guests. Uh, I think you'll find a lot in this session inspiring. Uh, I completely agree with that, Devor. So thanks, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. And there's more coming. The other society is imminent. Uh, which one will we have? That is the question. We have the answers. Only if we think about it, though. So. It's out there. It's out there. Jonathan, we'll leave you the last, the last word. And, uh, and we'll see you all next time. Wonderful. Thank you all so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Society. If you learned something new and this discussion made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.